uh, Christmas Carol, different seasonal attire. Are you guys familiar with the Christmas Carol? Most of you, maybe you've seen the, seen a version of it. Muppets Christmas Carol, I hear is the best. Maybe you disagree, yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. Um, well, it, it, it is in some ways the most famous ghost story in, in some regards, especially a very accessible one. So here's just a refresher. It's a story of Scrooge. Scrooge was this rich, lonely, money-pinching, Christmas-hating old man. Uh, and the night before Christmas, his old business partner, Marley, appears to him as a ghost and uh, warn him of, of, of his fate, where his life has taken him, where his sins are going to take him. And, 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 that, the, and then after that, there's, there's, there'll be three more ghosts that visit him. This is what Marley tells him. So the first is the ghost of Christmas past, and the second is the ghost of Christmas present, and the final one is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And he's by far the worst and the scariest, and maybe even impacts Scrooge the most. In fact, all he does is he appears, he doesn't say anything, he shows him a few things, but he eventually takes Scrooge to his grave. Very spooky. He shows him his grave. And Scrooge, he just, you know, at this point in the story, he breaks down. And, and as he stands, afraid of what's to come, he's like, I'm, I'm going to die. Um, shook to his core, he says this. It's a, it's a beautiful uh, little question. He says, are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of things that may be only? Uh, the ghost doesn't say anything. He only points to his grave once again. Scrooge wants to know, if I change, will that change my future? And the ghost won't reassure him, so he leaves him hanging. Well, Scrooge wakes up from that nightmare, and he does change. And it ends up being this really beautiful story and a powerful one. Today we're starting a new series uh, where we look at the paranormal, and we're going to be uh, start by looking at a story, a ghost story that's in the Old Testament. But it's not like a lot of the ghost stories that you see in horror films. Uh, it's not about a haunted house or a, a haunted nun or a monastery or some creepy doll. It's a ghost story that's actually really similar in a very eerie sort of way to the Christmas Carol. So in this series, we're going to look at um, things like ghosts and demons and Satan and hell, the kinds of things that gave birth to the images and icons that flood the Halloween scene. Images and icons that, that are, were birthed at least in part by our faith tradition. But today I want to invite you to suspend your disbelief for just a second. Don't worry yourself with whether ghosts are real or not. Uh, that's not the question we're going to answer today. Don't worry yourself with whether the story we read happened or as it appears, or maybe something else was going on and it only appeared that way because it was an ancient people many, 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 many years ago that had a different way of looking at the world. If nothing else, treat this story like you would the Christmas Carol, a story with a lesson. Because we're going to look at a ghost story, and it's an, a biblical story, but in more than that, or in addition to that, it's a story with a lesson. So if you can suspend your disbelief just long enough, to get that lesson, I think we'll land somewhere that God wants us to. So the ghost story we're going to look at, it finds itself in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. It's 1 Samuel 28, starting with verse 3. So if you, you want to follow along, you can, you can go there now. We're going to give you some context before we jump to it, and it'll be on the screen today. But it's a story that's near the end of the story of Saul. Now, Saul was the king of Israel. But by the time this story comes along, it was clear to everyone, including Saul, that he shouldn't be the king of Israel. David would be the next king. David's a very popular biblical story. And David and Saul couldn't be any more different from each other. On the outside, David was an unlikely king. He was small and, from what we can tell, not especially attractive. In fact, there's this beautiful verse in Scripture. It says, verse Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks 
at the heart. Now this, this is a great verse. This is a verse I, I'll claim every day. But if we're honest, you don't want to be the reason this verse is written, do you? I mean, not really. Like, it's, a be- it's true and it's good, but like, you don't want to be the reason it was written. David is the reason this verse, he's like, don't judge him by the way he looks. He actually has some really good things going on in the inside. Now, on the other hand, opposite of that, you have, you have Saul. And here's the thing we, the scripture says about Saul. Saul, good looking guy. Scripture says it like this. Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. Head and shoulders taller than anyone else. He's good looking. He's also really big. He's tall. You know, earlier, actually, we learned in, in this, uh, in this uh, book of 1 Samuel that he was also from a really wealthy family. So here's this guy. He's rich. He's good looking. Broad shoulders. You know, he, he's the kind of guy that rises to the top, quite literally. And, and that's Saul. And at the age of 30, Samuel, the judge and the prophet, anoints Saul as king. And they hadn't had a king before. He would be there first. He's their George Washington of Israel. What an honor. And not just that, but Saul was, you know, good looking. He was tall. He was this manly man. He would be the first king of Israel. But, but he also had this deep connection to God. There's this really crazy story. It's a chapter before his coronation where Saul is walking down the street and he meets these people who are filled with the spirit of God. He almost has this Acts 2 type of experience where the spirits fall on him and he, he's prophesying. In 1 Samuel 10, he even says he was given a new heart, a new lease on life. The spirit calls him, lays on him, and he experiences God in this profound way. So he's got it all. He's got looks and power and spiritual connection, a man who stands above all others. He, he not only is going to be a king, but he's experienced in a very real, real way a personal experience with God, the God of the universe. So he's exactly where he should be, doing exactly what he's created to be, and he's got all the signs that tell him that he's right on track. There's a few moments where we, meet, we experience this in life, where you're just like, everything is lining up. And it couldn't get any better. And it doesn't. It gets so much worse for Saul. Saul isn't a good king. And there's one major theme why. There's a lot of reasons why he wasn't a good king, but there's one theme that shows up in all of them. Saul is afraid of everything. He's just afraid of everything. Now, to be fair, he's king in a very primitive world. He had a lot of reasons to be afraid. His primary job was leading people into battle, not something that I've ever done and something that would probably terrify me. Maybe you too. He also had to deal with all kinds of pressure and big decisions. There was a lot of, so I'm, not giving, I'm not giving Saul a hard time. He had a lot of reasons to be afraid. But the problem with him is that he didn't handle his fear in a very good way. He didn't handle it the way that kings should. One time he's on the front lines and he's facing one of the enemies of Israel and he's led the people and he gets so scared. So of course, if the king's scared, everyone behind you is scared too, right? That's how that works. They're all scared. And he's like, run and hide. And they do, they go run. And it says in the scripture, they ran to caves and to valleys and to cisterns. Can you imagine? They all just disperse and they run and hide. Imagine this, you know, that sort of war movie where this isn't the king that you need. Consider even the most popular story of Saul. It's, it's actually a story about David. It's one that you probably, if you, if you grew up in the church at all, you probably ran across. It's a story of David and Goliath. But it's also a story about Saul. See, the Philistines, they, they sent their, their biggest guy to the battlefield, Goliath, right? He's this monster of a man. And the idea was is that Israel should send their biggest guy down to fight as well. Well, who's the biggest guy? We already know. Hold it, sh- shoulders Head and shoulders above everyone else. It's the king. He's not going down. 
Read the story. It says he's terrified. Of course, David steps in, this little man, not very good looking, slays Goliath. That's a different story for another time. In fact, the story that pushes Saul over the edge. There's this moment in Saul's kingship where God says, no, I'm done with you. I reject you as king. That's the language that's used towards Saul. It's this moment where Saul was told to do something by God. We won't get into it. It's actually a very complicated thing. It involved war. And it met, it's, it's, we're not going to deal with that theology of violence in the Old Testament today. Another day, maybe. But he's, he's told to do this really violent thing. And, and he doesn't have a problem doing it. Culturally, he didn't have a problem doing it. But he doesn't do it for one reason. He explains it to, to, to Samuel later. He confesses. He says, here's why I disobeyed God. Saul admitted to Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, 24, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. The, the act that broke his relationship with God and broke his role as king wasn't because he was afraid of death or because he was afraid of the front lines. It, was, it wasn't this red badge of courage situation. It was because he was unwilling to do what God said because he was afraid of people. Simply put, God wanted him to do one thing, people wanted him to do something else. And he was afraid of what people thought. He was afraid of upsetting people. Well, if there was ever a relatable fear, that's one, don't you think? And it's that fear that makes Saul unqualified to lead. Well, that's a little convicting. So we could probably just stop right there, huh? Some of you are like, but you haven't got to the ghost story yet. I was like, well, I'm not here to make you happy, okay? It's clearly not falling for that trap again. The problem with kings in this sort of pre-democratic world is this. If, if Saul was going to stop being king, it would happen in two ways. One, he would step down and resign on behalf of himself and his sons. Or two, he and his sons would die. If he just died, his sons would become king. This is how it worked. So either he and his sons would have to step down or he and his sons would have to die. Now, do you think the guy who is afraid of what people think is going to go through the hard process of publicly stepping down and surrendering his reign to David? David, the short, ugly shepherd boy from a nobody poor family? No, he's not going to do that. It's it's almost impossible. It goes against everything that drives Saul. So Saul isn't going to give up, and that's what makes Saul's story a tragedy. Spoiler alert. But that's also where the ghost story begins. So are you ready? It's a pretty great ghost story. By the way, it's fantastic. It's 1 Samuel 28, starting with verse 3. It says this. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and spiritists from the land. I forgot to mention at this point in the story, Samuel, the prophet judge who anointed Saul, anoints the kings. He's dead at this point. The fact that this is how the ghost story starts makes me think of even more of the Christmas carol. You know, Samuel was dead to begin with. There was no doubt about it whatsoever. Old Samuel was as dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come from a story I'm about to tell you. You will prefer me to repeat it again then emphatically that Marley, I mean Samuel, was dead. Samuel is dead. Tis the season. And also... Samuel had shut down the mediums, or spiritists, or these people who would uh, try to conjure up the dead. It was illegal for them to do that, so it's important to know. So next verse, he says this. So the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shimon, and while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Classic Saul. Terrified. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him. 
by dreams or Urim. Urim was a form of casting lots. It's an Old, old, old Testament, New Testament way of making decisions. How the disciples were chosen, it's a form of casting lots. Uh, dreams or Urim or prophets. So he's, he's afraid, which is his greatest weakness, but fear isn't the problem. I want to pause and talk about fear for a second because this is a theme in, Paul's, in Saul's story as well as in the story of this, this ghost story. Um, fear, but fear isn't a problem. Fear is absolutely normal. Everyone's afraid. From time to time, you, you're going to be afraid. There are things that, that scare you. But and fear doesn't disqualify you from leadership, or I wouldn't be able to be in leadership. I'm afraid too. In fact, if you aren't afraid facing difficult situations or dangerous situations, then you're probably a sociopath. That does disqualify you. So fear, in a way, kind of qualifies you for leadership because it's normal, it's healthy, it's human. But good leaders face fear with integrity. Courage, on the other hand, courage isn't the absence of fear. Someone who's courageous doesn't mean they're not afraid. Someone who's courageous is able to face fear with integrity. In other words, I hope if you get nothing else, hear this. Courage is facing fear without corrupting your character. Courage is being willing to face something that you're afraid of without corrupting your character. When you face something you're afraid of, you'll be tempted to go the easy route, to compromise, to, to, to do the wrong thing, to run away, to hide. But courage is saying, I'm going to do the right thing even though I'm not sure I'm going to survive it. I'm that afraid that if I do this, if I'm honest with my spouse in this moment, I don't know what's going to happen. If I lead the church in this way, I don't know what's going to happen. If I say this thing to my boss, I don't know what's going to happen because he asked me to do something or she asked me to do something I shouldn't do. I might lose my job and I'm absolutely terrified. And what would happen then? And courage is being in a situation where you are afraid and saying, I'm going to do the right thing anyways. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to still do it. I won't compromise my character. So Saul, every time Saul faces fear, he compromises his character and it corrupts him. Saul really struggled because he always wanted to know what was going to happen. He wanted to control everything. Saul, unlike David, really struggled with walking by faith. And that's what you need when you face fear because you don't know what's going to happen. And Saul was like, I need to know. I need to know where this battle ends. He needed to know that things would work out. He wanted to know how it was all going to come together. And if, as if knowing the future would make the future easier to accept. It doesn't. So he seeks God and God is silent. Now God can be silent for a lot of reasons. And, and I need you to hear me when I say this, that God was silent for a lot of great leaders. That, that God can be silent and that doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. That you've somehow corrupted your character. That God, is, that, that, the, that God being silent isn't necessarily a sign that you've messed up. God was silent for a lot of people who are doing a lot of good things. God has been silent for me in times where I knew I was on the right track. It, it's, it's not necessarily a determining factor of whether you messed up. Now, in this instance, though, God was silent for a couple of reasons, reasons that I think we're always afraid of when God is silent. First, Saul was afraid to the point that he allowed it to corrupt his character and he could no longer, he had no longer any room to trust God. And here's the thing. It's really hard to hear from God when you're unwilling to trust God. Like, it, it starts with trust. You don't hear the voice of God without trust. Now, just because you haven't heard the voice of God doesn't mean you don't trust God, right? It doesn't work both ways. But if you don't trust God, it'll be really hard to hear the voice of God. Second, Saul, was where, uh, Saul wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was out of place. He wasn't supposed to be king anymore. He should have stepped down. And it's really hard to hear from God when you're running from what God has called you to do. It's just a hard place to hear the voice of God. Now, once again, just because you're not hearing the voice of God doesn't mean you are running from what God wants, but 
If you are running from what God wants for you, it'll be really hard to hear the voice of God. And third, God saw, um, God and Saul were, were not getting along. Uh, it, it says at one point, we'll read it in the passage, that they were enemies, that God was an enemy of Saul. And we know that God loves us even while we were yet sinners, even while we were yet enemies. But it's really hard to get advice from God when you're at odds and separated and at war with God. So God is silent, but Saul, is, he's scared and he wants to know God and he wants to know what's going to happen. And so this is what he does. Classic Saul fashion. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I might go and inquire of her. So he's doing what he does best. He allows fear to compromise his character. People who tried to speak to the dead, that's what a medium was, was against the law in the Old Testament. There's no more verses in the Old Testament about this. We won't get into it. But even if it wasn't in the Old Testament, um, uh, it's still a compromise in its integrity. If, you, if you're the person who outlaws a behavior, you outlaw something and then you go and engage in it even though everyone else isn't allowed to, no, you can't do that. That's a compromise of your, of your integrity, of your character. So it's, it's the definition of hypocrisy. And that's what fear can do. It can make us into hypocrites. So they respond, though. They say, there is one in Endor, which is epic. You know, the witch of Endor. That's like Lord of the Rings or something. Now, she wasn't a witch. It's different than medium. We won't get into it. Medium, you know, whatever. But still, pretty cool. And uh, uh, so Saul, this is what he does. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to the woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said. And bring up for me the one I, I name. He disguises himself. He hides who he is. Why? Because he knows he shouldn't be doing this. And hiding is something that Saul does often. Fear makes us want to hide. To run and hide from the things that scare us, but also to hide who we are when we compromise our character because of fear. As if to convince ourselves that the compromise I'm making, well, it's not really me. Saul disguises himself to try and separate the great king that he wished he was from the miserable and scared king he had become. And so in a disguise, he asked to speak to someone from the dead. And here's how the woman responds. But the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? She's basically saying, are you a cop? You know, like, what's going on here? You know, we're not supposed to be doing this. Here's what, Paul, here's what Saul says, verse 10. Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. This is crazy. Saul knows that God is alive. God is alive and well and has a plan and is working. Saul knows that. The problem wasn't that he didn't believe in God. It's that he really struggled to trust God. And those are different things. It's one thing to believe, I believe there's a God, but it's another thing to say, I will trust you, God, with my life and my future. I will trust you. So the woman gives in and the woman says, whom shall I bring up for you? So we learn what, what Saul wanted, who Saul wanted to talk to, and, 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 she, and he says, bring up Samuel, he said. Now this is crazy because even though Samuel was the one who first anointed Saul, they didn't have a great relationship. They were like nemesis. They didn't get along. Samuel had turned against Saul just like everyone else, just like God. They said, Saul, you shouldn't be king. They did not get along. Samuel had a lot of bad things. Like, I don't know why Saul is calling up Samuel necessarily because this is not going to go well. This is going to be, Samuel's not going to say nice things 
to Saul. But it is where um, it becomes a ghost story. So before she even has a chance to conjure Samuel up, before she says any spells or does anything, Samuel appears, which some suggest, just as a side note, that, that it wasn't by her power that Samuel appeared, that maybe it was just God bringing uh, someone, uh, to, which happens in other places in the Bible, like transfiguration, things like that. It was God's power which like, brought this person back before she even had a chance to do anything because she almost seems surprised that it happens. Verse 12. Here's the ghost story. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out at the top of her voice and said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Like, you must be Saul because this doesn't normally work. The king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. The old man, an old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And then Saul knew it was Samuel. Robe was a royal term in regards to dignity and that was the connecting point for him. He's like, it must be Samuel because the way that he's dressed. Then Saul knew it was Samuel and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. So here appears Samuel, the friendly ghost. And he says something. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Well, Samuel, the grouchy ghost, nonetheless. And, you know, if you're honest, if there were ghosts and someone dies and they make it to the next life, a life that Jesus characterizes as paradise, and they're brought back to earth and they have to talk to their least favorite person in the whole world, that's exactly what they would say. Like, why are you bothering me? Especially you, Saul. I honestly thought I was done with you. Like, that's probably Samuel. Samuel. Like, I was like, death doesn't even keep me from having to deal with you, Saul, you annoying little weak king. So Saul says this. I am in great distress, Saul. Said, the Philistines are fighting against me. This is nothing new. Samuel was alive during many times when the Philistines were fighting against Saul, and Saul acted like a baby. No offense to Saul. Sorry, Saul. Saul had real problems. This could have easily been a mental health sermon. We're not going to get into that. Really, and that's not, it's actually, whew, yeah, it's serious. But, so Saul, I got a little bit of grace for him. Philistines are fighting against me, and, and, and God has departed me, and he no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams, so I have called on you to tell me what to do. Now, I kind of like, this is kind of funny, Saul's kind of clever. He, he, there's certain ways that a king can talk to, or hear from God, or hear about what's going to happen. He can talk to prophets, he can talk to priests. Saul can't talk to priests. Side note, he killed them all. So, not, like I said, not good guy. So you can talk to priests, you can talk to, like, uh, God can communicate through dreams, this happens, you know, or cast lots. He tried all these things, or they weren't options. And so he's like, I'm not supposed to talk to the medium, the spiritist who raises the dead, but what if I bring her back a prophet and I talk to the prophet? I mean, and justifies the means, right? Like he's not really getting advice from the medium. He's getting advice from this this prophet. So he goes, and um, at this point, he's 40 years old. Uh, No, at this point, he had been a king for 40 years. He became a king when he was 30. He had been a king for 40 years. He's old. Saul is old and he's tired. And I think he's afraid of what's going to happen next. I, don't, I, I think he's afraid of the battle. There's a battle that's about to ensure. But I don't think that's... He's been through a lot of battles. He's always afraid. He acts differently. This is something different. This is something new. I think, I think he's afraid not just of the battle, but he's afraid of what's going to happen next. He's afraid of his future. Once again, if there's ever a fear we can relate to. He wanted to know how it all ended. And I think something in him knew that his end was near. And that terrified him. I think Saul in this story is really afraid of his future because he, he knew that there was something in him that wanted 
to go back to the way it used to be. It's the only reason why you would call up Samuel. Because he, when, when, they, when Samuel died, they weren't getting along. Samuel had harsh words for Saul. He calls up Samuel not because of any reason other than Samuel was there when he began. Back when he was young and attractive and it mattered. Back when Samuel anointed him as king and he had this divine experience for God. And I think Saul was hungry for that. Fear, fear makes you retreat to the past instead of press on to the future. And I think Saul calls up Samuel because he wants a little bit of a taste. He wants to know that maybe he has potential. He conjures up Samuel and he's like, almost like, Samuel, is there any potential in me now or is it all run out? Is it all dried up? And please tell me what's going to happen next. Things wouldn't be all right for Saul. And this is the hardest part of Saul's story. Things couldn't be all right with Saul unless he was first willing to let go of what he wanted for himself and accept reality for what it was. And that's the hardest thing to accept. He had to accept the fact that his stature and his looks and his title and his, they couldn't save him. They couldn't help him be a better king. He needed to step down. He probably he needed to get help. And, and knowing what to do and being unwilling to do it, there is absolutely no hopeless place to live your life than knowing what to do and being too stubborn, too hurt, too afraid to do it. So Samuel honestly doesn't make it any better. He says this, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? Not a super encouraging line, but he's naming somewhat of Saul's reality. He's like, you and God are at odds, you know? And, and we know now in the New Testament that God loved us while we, you know, while we were yet enemies and while we were sinners. And, and I, don't, I don't think this changes God's love for Saul, but, but they were, he was living in active rebellion against God. And so Samuel goes on. He says, so the Lord has done what, what he predicted through me. A little bit of a self-promotion there, Samuel, but whatever. Um, the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this with you today. That goes back to the story that we kind of skipped over. Verse 19, he continues, The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Kind of a poetic and beautiful way to say you're going to die. Of course, Samuel's not uncomfortable with death, considering his current state, right? He's like, you're going to be with me. Two ways for a king to be replaced. He and his sons step down, or he and his sons die. And they won't step down. You see, Samuel's ghost isn't the ghost of Christmas past. He isn't the ghost of Christmas present. He is the ghost of Christmas yet to come. He takes Saul to his gravestone, and he points at it. He says, here's where you're headed. You're going to die tomorrow. like the Christmas carol, like Scrooge. This is a hard message. So hard, in fact, that it's either going to be his death sentence or his wake-up call. And maybe you've been there before. Maybe you've reached the bottom. You've reached a rock bottom of some sort. You've heard something that just, your life has fallen apart. You can't tell whether that moment is going to be your death sentence or it's going to be your breakthrough. Because those often happen in the same places, friends. 
but they are different. And the difference between something being your death sentence and something being your wake-up call is the difference of one question. And it's a question that Scrooge asked, but one that Saul wouldn't. Are these the shadows of things that will be? Or are these the shadow of things that may be only? When you hit rock bottom, do you have the courage to ask, are these the things that are just going to ruin me? Or are these the things that will provide a chance, an opportunity to change? What if I changed? What if I got help? What if I, what if I asked for help? What if I sought advice? What if I stepped down or let go or I learned new habits? What if I changed? Would that change my future? The answer is yes. Every time. If you're scared of where you're headed, and if you're not right now, I'm sure there will be a time. I want you to know this, that in God, through Christ, there is always hope for your future. Always. Period. Full stop. In God, you don't have to be afraid anymore. We still will. We'll still be afraid. We can't control what happens to us next. And so much of life feels out of control. But God gives us something different than fear. Scripture writes that perfect love casts out fear. And if you could understand just how perfectly God loves you, how no matter what we go through and what we suffer, what we, where we find ourselves, no matter how our life or even our mental health begins to break down, that no matter what it is we struggle with, that if we knew God loves us, that our fears of rejection and our fears of death and our fears of our future, it would be cast out. And what an appropriate term for a spooky series, right? Love cast out fear, drives it out as if fear was our ghost all along. We're not haunted by ghosts, but by fear. And we're in need of an exorcist, I guess. And that exorcist is love, the perfect, unchanging, unconditional love of God. In this ghost story, we're not really answering the question, should Christians believe in ghosts? It's not the point of the story. It wasn't written thousands of years ago for a pastor today to say, well, here's why we should believe in ghosts. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is this. In this ghost story, the scariest thing isn't the ghost. It's a life lived controlled by fear. And fear that can lead us to being separated from God, a fear that leads us to being separated from people, and a fear that will lead us, if we allow it, to be separated even from ourselves. Alone and broken. So the reflection that I want to challenge you with today is what fear is haunting you? I'm going to invite the band to come up as we get ready for our closing song. And as I do, I want you to wrestle with something. I have a few, uh, just a couple of questions I want to put on the screen as they get set up. What of your fears do you wish you could, uh, you wish could be cast out? Is that fear corrupting your character? Is it an area where your fear is keeping you from being the person you know you want to be? Like you know the right thing to do, you know where you're sp- the stuff you're supposed to do, but this fear is keep it's a wall, it's a barrier keeping you from that. So is it corrupting your character, becoming a wall to where you want to go, where you know you should go? And how might accepting God's love for you change how you respond to fear? I'm going to invite us just to a few moments of prayer. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing and and give praise to the God who conquers all, who gives us love, who deserves all of our praise. Um, So let's take those fears and lay them aside. Let's pray. Will you please stand, by the way?